Call for the weeping mothers, the lost fathers, and the forsaken children, and let them come quickly. For a voice of crying is heard out of Zion, for we are greatly confused. For death has come into our ghettos to cut off the young men and women from the streets of Philadelphia, New York, L.A., Georgia, Ohio, Florida, Mississippi, and throughout America, South America, the Caribbean islands, Africa, Asia, and all over the world. So return unto me, thus saith Yah, and I will return unto you, O my people. Because Hosea 4 6 states, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4 7 states, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all that, getting it an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot, Brother Reggie, and Brother Ralph. 
The number to reach us tonight to join the conversation is 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. The listen-only line, if you don't have computer access, access to a smartphone, iPad, or any other device, is 559-726-1300. That's 559-726-1300. And that access code is 9585. Nine zero on the pound sign. Again, that access code is nine five eight five nine zero, and the pound sign. We're streaming live at two locations: www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. We're also on TuneIn. If you have your device, your iPad, your smartphone, your BlackBerry, uh, TuneIn is a free app. You can download it in, uh, in the search engine. Just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you'll see the icon, and you can listen to the program live in your car, walking down the street, in your home, uh, wherever you'd like to hear it, on your device. That's Time for an Awakening with a, uh, the app on TuneIn. Drop us an email. At time for an awakening at gmail dot com. It's time for an awakening at gmail dot com. Time for awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. Just go to the Facebook search engine and type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by Brother Reg. And before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook. Tonight, we're scheduled to have a special guest join us, activist, Pan-African, and scholar, Professor James Small, will be with us this evening to uh, talk about several subjects, but the topic of immigration will be one of the topics that we'll be hitting hard this evening, uh, with black elected officials and civil rights leaders behind the president's uh, executive order. A lot of conscious blacks oppose it. And with the state of black America living in a seem like a permanent recession, let's talk about this with Professor Smalls, this topic, among others. And we'll be right back to get things started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters our friends and and our enemies. (laughs) Everybody is here. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21. 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley antiquity to the present our people need to develop a new paradigm it's time for an awakening sundays 7 p.m with your hosts elliot and reggie welcome back it's time for an awakening and uh, as i mentioned before we're scheduled to have special guests join us this evening pan-african activist and scholar professor james small is scheduled to be with us this evening i, I guess he'll be calling in shortly but I want to welcome back from a well-deserved vacation, Brother Ralph. Hey, uh, thanks a lot, Brother Ali. <laughs> yeah, it was well-deserved, Brother. <laughs> how, how are you? I'm fine, man. Well-rested. Yeah, a lot, a lot of folks been asking about you on uh, social media. I told them the Brother deserves a break, and he'll be back. Uh, it, you know, I knew you was going to jump on here uh, either this week or next week. I didn't know when you got back because I know some sometimes after vacation the work schedule is a little hectic. But I'm glad to have you back, brother, to join the conversation this evening. Thank you. Brother Ralph, while we're waiting on uh, on our guest to join us, uh, there's a lot of things going on. There's always things going on. And, and some of our folks have a tendency to sit back and wait till things happen and then react. Uh, I like the forums that we have and, and with our guests and, uh, and on other conscious programs that are, that are out there uh, that our people listen to uh-huh. uh, which may be few and far between but it's always uh, the guest always has some solutions that we can uh, uh, plan for uh, plans of attack so to speak where we can yeah. stop reacting to things and start uh, being more proactive but um, I, I think before I, we came on this evening I saw something on social media about uh, a, uh, a cop in Texas I think he um, I don't know what it was, but it was some children at a, I don't know whether it was a family outing or some type of disturbance, but he was running around waving a gun at children and they showed, uh, I couldn't hear the, uh, the volume was down on the uh, television I was looking at, but I saw the, the footage. I don't know whether you uh, ran across it or saw it uh, by the cop uh, waving a gun at uh, these young people. It looked like the children might have been uh, teenagers, early teenagers. And it was young. It was young lady. It was a young girl, especially that he had on the ground. Yeah. So well, it's, it, it, Ellie, this, th- these things don't surprise me at all, man. I mean, it's, it's America. <laughs> Until we get that in our heads, you know, that this is America. First of all, we got to realize what we're up against, and it's no easy test. If you don't know what you're up against, then uh, you know. Uh, you know, but you, you know, you're the, lost. You. Yeah, and no, I understand what you're saying. But no, but no, I wanted to say, but hold that point, Ralph, because I don't think a lot of our people really realize what they're up against. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on that, that keeps our people's minds distracted. I'm sorry. 
a lot of people going uh, things going on to keep our people's mind distracted whether it's to your to television with shows like empire and uh and all this other foolishness and then they see some of our people making huge sums of money and they don't realize that our people are under attack they don't know what we're up against i mean that's i, I don't know how you see that but we that's one of some of the things that we're going to talk about with professor smalls once he joins us uh-huh. uh when we deal with this topic of of uh of immigration uh-huh. and i think it'll be an interesting subject once he uh joins in the conversation right well you know talking about the topic of topic of integration uh you can really like look and see about the city of detroit they're planning on bringing syrian refugees there to replace the people that's been uh displaced by the system really not you know and if the people can't find jobs, can't pay their bills, can't do this, can't do that. Well, of course, it was a systematic thing. And how I know it's systematic, it goes on in every city across this country. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so, and then they're just going to replace them with immigrants for some unknown reason. And I hope Professor Smalls uh, discusses this. Well, uh, it looks like uh, Professor Smalls has joined us. And I want to thank uh, activist, Pan-African, and scholar Professor James Smalls for joining us this evening on Time for an Awakening. Professor Small? Yes, sir. How are you doing today? <laughs> How are you, sir? Okay, and I'm glad that observation was made by my brother. Um, that's Brother Ralph, one of the co-hosts. Yes, sir, Brother Ralph. And that's not new. Uh, we saw the same thing happen after the First World War, after the Second World War, after the Vietnam War. Those people who fought with the Americans or helped America undermine their government or neighboring governments, those refugees were brought to America and put in the black community. If you go back to the 1920s, right after the First World War, that's when you saw the first heavy influx of Arabs coming into the uh, Detroit area. Um, rather than open up jobs in the automotive industry for Africans, African-Americans, let's be clear um, who we identify. We identify. When I say African-Americans, I want to be clear. I'm talking about those African descend, who descend, descendant of those who were formerly enslaved in the United States of America. I don't want to confuse them with any other population of Africans because we have different experiences, different relationships to this country, its government, and its system. So let's be clear when we say African-American, not to confuse ourselves, but because other Africans do not confuse themselves with us. And so unless we get clear on that, we'll always be in some confusion. Mm-hmm. But this thing of bringing in, <clears throat> we saw it after the Vietnam War. The South Vietnamese who fought with the Americans were brought in America and almost invariably placed in black communities. And they developed communities called Little Vietnam. And nobody thought had a problem with that. If we tried to call any community Little Africa, uh, we, we're anti-American. If we try to say we want community control in the black community, we are deemed anti-American, and every institution and in government would be placed to destroy any efforts on our part to develop such an economic community. And so that's nothing new. 
what they're doing now, bringing in the Syrians and Iraqis and other Arabs who have helped them to destabilize and destroy, really, the governments of the Middle East and North Africa. So those who were there, who were complicit with the American and the rest of the Western governments, have been given safe harbor in America. And they cannot place them in white communities. And other Asian communities that have been settled, they're not going to allow them to be placed in their communities. And so the only community that don't have um, a sanctuary from its government is the African-American community. We saw it happen in Detroit. There was no reason for Detroit to be destroyed. Detroit was economically crippled by the very corporate structures who claimed that Detroit is their base. The very corporate structure, the automotive industry and the parts industry, which was bailed out by the federal government in 2008, they're the very people who destroyed the economy. The white middle class and working class moved to suburbia, and so the parts industries and many other aspects of the automotive industry moved to the suburbs of Detroit and moved that capital with them. But they all realized after a while that when you consider the fire department infrastructure, the hospital infrastructure that had been formerly built, the water facilities, um, the other kinds of urban infrastructure that they didn't have in suburbia and would have to build from the ground up, then they needed a way to reattach themselves to metropolitan Detroit all on the drug trade, how to be created a destabilizing agent that could destroy the black community. And so there's two agents at work. One is the de-employment of black people by moving industry away from them. And two, to put drug in to destabilize that community with crime unheard of in the history of America. Even the mafia didn't raise such havoc as drugs dealing and the government war on drugs dealt against the black community across this country in terms of destabilizing the black community in America. And then bringing in immigrant populations, mostly from Asia, Latin America, and Africa, to take over the small business and entrepreneurial infrastructure in those black communities where blacks didn't have capital to create them. And so even though we spent a trillion dollars last year, we spent it with non-blacks who have no investments in the black community, or we spend it with other blacks or brown people who have no investment in the black community, and the wealth of the black community go to build their communities. And the way they solve the problem of black flashback or strike back, the drugs allow you to set up a path where the drugs working along with the high school dropouts and with other than black people controlling the curricula in black community, everybody says there's a problem with black self-esteem, black pride. There's a problem with, with black value, black self-worth. And yet the one thing they weren't allowed to be taught in the school is black history, black culture, and black heritage. Um, those are the things that people rely upon to develop their esteem, their values, um, their worth, and their interests. So I hate to come in a door like this, but all of these things we can discuss and expand on as we go along. 
<laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Professor Small, before we open this conversation up, I want to play a clip, and I want you to kind of uh, kind of segue behind the clip. Uh, okay. it's, it's a clip by Dr. Claude Anderson from a 2005 speech at the Washington Press Club. And it seems like from the speech he made it yesterday, but I'll play it a clip, and I want you to kind of follow in behind what he's saying. Because uh, we see that the president, along with uh, black elected or selected officials and civil rights leaders, got behind the president's uh, uh, executive order on immigration. Uh, A lot of conscious blacks oppose uh, his immigration and his stance on immigration, including yourself. And I want your opinions on what immigration has done to our people and is doing to our people. But before we go there, let me play this clip from a 2005 address by uh, Dr. James Klingman and Professor uh, Claude and Dr. Claude Anderson at the 2005 Washington Press Club. And also the fail understands that since 2005 speech talk about how damaging immigration has been since 1970 to that time which was 10 years ago follow up behind him in reference to this problem of immigration that that some of our people Anderson pretty much said it all we actually we what African Americans need to stop needing is to have the same truth repeated over and over and over again okay 
Okay, but I will make one little repetition on it. Um, first of all, we're not talking about immigration. We're talking about illegal immigration. They say they have 12-plus million illegal immigrants in America. Mm-hmm. Can you think of any other nation in the world that even have one-tenth of that many <laughs> illegal immigrants? It, it sounds How does any nation allow that? Unless it's intentional. The bottom line, they got us discussing the question of immigrants when really it is a question of illegal immigrants. Okay. So if the, if the immigrants are illegal, why is there a discussion of immigration? That's the first question. See, immigration is when you come to the borders and a nation allow you to come over either permanently or for some period of time. And then you have to return to your own country or permanently and you stay here. Or a nation have laws like America have and have these work permit laws with Mexico and other South American countries where people could come over here and work for a certain amount of time and is required to return home. They had the same such arrangement with the Philippines and with Taiwan. And so people who come, like there was an arrangement with the Taiwanese government, which came out about 15 years ago, because one uh, Chinese uh, fellow decided to sue the American government because they promised them that if they come over here and, and w- on the work permit for 11 years, they would be automatically given citizenship. And when this man didn't get his citizenship by the 15th year, he sued them. That was squashed out of the news immediately. But what they were doing was paying the money in foreign aid to the Taiwanese government, and then the Thai government was paying these, uh, uh, what do you call these, um, contract workers, um, um, uh, what do you call the, the ways you, uh, when you go to, to school, they give it to you. But they were giving them, they were paying them from this foreign, foreign aid monies. They've got similar arrangement with Mexico, with permit workers coming over, supposedly to work in the farms and stuff in, in, in uh, California and the Southwest. And so no one's going to go back home to the poverty they came out of, and I understand that. My problem with immigration has nothing to do with the sick laws of America. My problem with immigration is how the immigrants is allowing themselves to be used and how America's using the immigrants to set up the small business and the entrepreneurial infrastructure in the black neighborhoods across America. See, that's where it's hurting us. And, and because when we begin to look seriously at uh, the situation, um, when you talk about small business in America, according to the SBA, small businesses, which are, well, I'm talking about the businesses that are based basically in the communities across America, mm-hmm. small businesses is 99% of the U.S. employer firms. Okay? And they account for 64% of the net private sector jobs, 64% of private sector jobs are small businesses, the community businesses. 49.2% of private sector employment comes from these small businesses. 42.9% of private sector payroll come from these small businesses. 49% of private sector output comes from small businesses. 43%
of the high-tech employment is small business. 46% of the private non-farm GDP in this country is private business. And 63% of all the jobs created between 1993 and, and 2013 uh, were small businesses. And so if you come in the black community, you will see that the small businesses are owned by other than black people. So when we do what we did last year, spend a trillion dollars, it turns over once in our community and it leaves. And so we, we realize very quickly, those of us who are looking at it, that uh, in the black community, we have a problem, you see. And, and, and our problem has to do with we don't have a partnership with the small businesses. The small businesses in our community don't reinvest. The small businesses in our community don't, don't uh, hire from our community. The small businesses in our community don't help develop the social and cultural infrastructure in our communities. They just take the money in a bag, and when, like Malcolm X said, when, when the sun goes down, they take that money to another part of town and build another community. The, one of the questions one must ask, if these impoverished people um, come from such impoverishment to come to America, where do they get the capital to open up these businesses? And how come banks can find ways and other lending agencies to loan money to these entrepreneurial uh, enterprises? But when it comes to the African-American, we have to worry about paper trail and credit records. So something's going on that we don't quite understand. You'll find a similar thing in terms of looking at who's being given licenses to do vending in the black community. D.C. is a vendor community. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the government has said vend for the, more than the last decade plus, vending licenses are only supposed to be given to American veterans of the American military. But there must be some special arrangement to give vending license to refugees who have com done some partnership with the American government, and that's being kept held very secret. But if you go to any of these vending places to get licenses, uh, you will find that it's packed with non-African Americans, non-American citizenry, and they're being granted license, and we know these persons have not served in the American military. Hey, hey Professor Smalls, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's an interesting point that you just uh, brought up because uh, you go on the average bodega or what any of those... Uh, I wouldn't even call them stores. You go in any of those places, the food's expired, the license on the I, wall. I just went to one just town. I needed some milk. I said, I can't go to the supermarket. My wife and them has gone with the car. So let me walk to the corner store. Uh -huh. And I picked up the milk, and it's expired two days ago. <laughs> right. And, and that's what I was saying. Yeah. But if you look at those licenses, now I see it in Philadelphia all the time. The first thing I look for is the license. I might just go in there just to look around and see the, how filthy the conditions are because I realize in, in Philadelphia, if there's a black-owned business, they better not have a speck of dust on the floor and they're being shut down. And their license and insurance has to be up to date. But when you look at these filthy places they set up all in our neighborhoods and our people, for some strange reason, want to continue to buy from them, Man, I look at those licenses, they're two years expired, and, not a, and, not a, and the city don't even bother them. We had one place that said that they were selling uh, dog meat and cats 
to the brothers and sisters up in Philadelphia, where our elect, selected officials up there overlooked all that. One of them was on Carl Nelson's show, and they, he hung up, he wanted to hurry up and hang up the phone because me and Elliot both questioned him about, you see this stuff in the paper, why aren't you addressing this? And he wanted us off the phone. You know what I mean? Because we well, try to address. I, 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 and I understand what you're saying, and we must have a response. when we, We're going to outline some of the problems here today, but we're also going to come up with a response to some of these problems that we're having. Um, in our community, and, and it's really on us. We spent a trillion dollars last year, mm-hmm. and we spent that trillion dollars consuming mm-hmm. from other than African Americans. And 90% of that trillion dollars went to businesses owned and controlled by non black people. And so we have to deal with the whole question if a, a business is located in your community. It should provide quality service and products, first thing. It should provide jobs, secondly, for local community people. Mm-hmm. It should carry out creative, integrated, and, and integrate themselves into the community. It should carry out sponsorships, like sponsoring, you know, scholarships for children to go to college, sponsoring little league teams, et cetera, et cetera our kids to be off the street and into some constructive things. It should be a part of leading the community improvement project, and it should carry on philanthropic activities in the community. But the businesses in our community that are owned by non-African Americans do none of these things. They do none of these things. And, and so the African Americans who are listening to this, who think it's all right God has ordained us to shop with anybody, and, and there is no black businesses to shop with. The, the, and I want to say something first after quoting that stuff to African Americans who have jobs, who, unemployed, who are employed, who are professionals, who went to colleges because the black kids kicked the doors down. Whenever there was an a, 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 a uprising in the black community, it always came from the poorest of the poor because they had the greatest need and was under the greatest pressure. But it was always the working class and the middle class that took advantage of it and then turned their backs on the community. And African-American professionals, African-American middle class, African-American upper class, and working class, too, ought to be ashamed of themselves because they've turned their backs on the very population who fought to create the opportunity that are allowing them now to be able to work and take care of themselves. I want that said and said loud and clear. And I'd like to hear one of those come over and refute or dispute. And then the second thing. Brother Smalls, I'm one right here that uh, that, uh, I'm employed, taught Mm -hmm. taught at a college, taught a particular skill at a college, seen the licensing I was getting other people, and said, let me take this to my own neighborhood. And do and, and teach some of the young brothers that's coming, you know, coming out of high school. Let me teach the ones that have a prison record, because I know once they go in business for themselves, they can empower themselves. So we put a curriculum together, which a couple of the local politicians said this is a good thing. They were going to uh, they were going to get us a building and everything. But when it came to getting the thing approved, we had one 
piece of trash, that's what I'm going to call him, stepping away, and his secretary was my neighbor. And yeah. all it took was his signature. We could have the building. We could have the, uh, the money that was funding it. And he, and he had the nerve to ask me, what am I getting out of it? And, and that same guy right now is bringing brought up on charges in Philadelphia, and, 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 and people seem like they feel sorry for him. Are they just doing this? And, and he should go to the back of the penitentiary for the rest <laughs> right. of his life. He stopped, he stopped a trade school dead in his tracks. And then the woman wanted me to go through her preacher, but I don't have nothing to do with churches either because you talk about we don't have any black-owned businesses. We have a black-owned It's called the church, and they're just taking the money out the community, and I don't know where they're sending it, but it ain't returning to our community. So I have no, nothing and, to do and, with And I agree with you on that. The black church, and, and I was going to speak on them too, the black church is a key to the restructuring of the black community. But they have had an opportunity to do it, and they've been bought off. And with that, that whole faith-based initiative that was introduced under the Bushes or, or Reagan, whomever, they've really been bought off. And so if you remember going back to Dr. King now, Dr. King had to create SCLC because the Southern Baptist Convention did not support him. Mm -hmm. Okay? The AME churches did not support him. The NAACP did not support him. That's the reason Dr. King had to create his own organization called SCLC. And those few ministers who had the courage would become a part of that network that was moving the South in the direction that Dr. King was trying to move it. And so we still have that problem. And, 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 and you know, the, the only leader we have, religious leader in our community, that and most of us, and I thank God I haven't, and I'm sure you haven't, most of us have turned our back on is the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and the Lost Foundation of Islam in the West. The Nation of Islam has been consistent, consistent since its founding in trying to uplift black people in our community and going among the worst among us, the poorest of poor among us. And we don't have any instance where that organization has betrayed us to the greatest system. So for those who will bring up the conflict between Malcolm, yeah, they had a conflict. We have conflicts in all of our organization, all of our African nations, and sometimes people got killed. And we certainly lost one of the best of our best with Malcolm. But the U.S. government was more responsible for the death of Malcolm X than anyone in the nation of Islam. And so we need to look to where the light is shining from and not pay attention to the darkness except to tell those in the darkness they got a responsibility. The darkness, I'm meaning the churches. Now, we know there are one or two churches who are here really trying, especially the smaller one in the local community. But most of the black churches are part of networks. Malcolm used to call them syndicates. If you remember, Malcolm referred to them as having their own syndicates, and they would come up against anybody that tried to change the course of the black community because it would interfere in the flow of capital coming to them. And those syndicates still exist today, and they're even more powerful today than they were in the past. But there, there is a force, because there are many of us who are no longer going to those churches, like you and myself, and we are in the community, and like you, I, I, I have college degrees, I taught in the college, and yet I've spent all of my life working at what we call the grassroots level of our community, and will spend the rest of my life working there. And, so, and there are many others like us, but when you consider that our number may be well over 60 million, and the majority of us are not impoverished. 
let's get that clear. It's just that with such a large number of people as we have in America, we are the third largest African nation in the world, Brazil being the first, Nigeria being the second, we are the third. And we are the richest African nation in the world. There's only nine to 11 nations on earth that have more money to spend than the African-American community, and that includes the G7 and Russia and maybe Nigeria or Brazil. Other than that, we make more capital than any other nation in the world. But because it's not aggregated, as Claude Anderson said, we haven't brought it together. Because it's not organized, we can't control it. And we end up spending this unorganized capital, unaggregated capital, with other than African Americans. And we need to come up with a policy and a program. And I remember talking to some people in the Black United Fund out in Kansas City, and they were trying to work some issues there where they were looking at the black businesses that exist and having a consumer coalition meet with those businesses to let them know we're going to make a concerted effort to shop with you, but we expect high-quality goods and quality services and, when possible, the hiring of our community. And we want to tell the other people who do not invest in our community, who do not sponsor in our community, do not mentor in our community, do not help improve our community, do not practice philanthropic activities in our community, and don't hire in our community. We don't have to picket them. We don't even have to send them a note. We just don't have to cross the threshold of their businesses with our capital. And if we can come up with a movement like that, where we do not cross the threshold of any business that does not serve our community, invest in our community, hire from our community, and be a philanthropic part of our community. And then we let the black elements of our community know, unless you do these things, we will not cross the threshold of your business. And I guarantee you, none of them can remain open more than three months <laughs> without us crossing those thresholds. Wow. Now, I hope that was heard loud and clear. So we don't have to picket nobody. We don't have to threaten nobody. We just have to organize our money and spend it among ourselves so that we have a black grocery store, that have a black driver of the delivery truck, that have a black driving for a black firm that owned the delivery truck, delivering the food from a black warehouse owned by black people, coming from a wholesale industry owned by black people, so that that dollar can turn over anywhere from five to six times or more in our community before it leaves then we'll be able to bring black employment to zero, to absolute zero. Because some of the employment statistics now is so frightening, it's crazy. If you look at Chicago, mm. 92% of African Americans between the age of 16 and 19 are jobless in Chicago. Nationally, over 33% of African Americans between the age of 16 and 19 are jobless. That affects the individual's life, yes, but it affects the formation of family, yes. the stability of family, and it creates a single-parent household because you can't have a man in your household if you're going to get uh, welfare to keep you going if you can't find any other money, or that male or female have to get involved in the illicit drug uh, dealing enterprise, which has been put there by our government. Um, and we've been told this. We know the CIA and others have put this. We know of Oliver North and General Secord and Freeway Rick. So we know where the dope came from. And so 
If you don't have strong black families, you can't build communities, you know? And, and so we have to be real clear that we are clear about what's wrong. And then when it comes to the immigration question, I'm not anti-immigrant or against any immigrant. It's just that you are not my charge. It is not my job to, to provide food, clothing, shelter, and safety for any immigrant community at the cost and the deprivation to the African-American community. Now, now, Professor Smalls, you said something right there, but if you look at these immigrants but, coming but, in our Well, Ralph, do, do me a favor, but, uh, just table that. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, okay. you can join the conversation, too, at 215-253-7263. That's 215-253-7263. We're in conversation this evening with activist, Pan-African, and scholar, Professor James Small. We'll be right back. to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. The economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we should own and operate and control the economy of our community. You would never find, you can't open up a black store in a white community. White man won't even patronize you. And he's not wrong. He's in, he got sense enough to look out for himself. And you, you who don't have sense enough to look out for yourself. The white man, the white man is too intelligent to let someone else come and gain control of the economy of his community. But you will let anybody come in and control the economy of your community. Control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the businesses uh, under the pretext that you want to integrate. 
No, you're out of your mind. The political, the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer, the community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes who have been misled, misguided, are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man. The man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com to complain about poor housing in a run-down community. Why, you run it down yourself when you take your dollar out. This is what we have to do. Now, the other thing we'll have to do is this. Always anchor our external direct action with the power of economic withdrawal. Now, we are poor people. Individually, we are poor when you compare us with white society in America. We are poor. Never stop forget that collectively, that means all of us together, collectively we are richer than all the nations in the world with the exception of nine. Did you ever think about that? After you leave the United States, Soviet Russia, Great Britain, West Germany, France, and I can name others, the American Negro collectively is richer than most nations of the world. We have an annual income of more than $30 billion a year, which is more than all of the exports of the United States and more than the national budget of Canada. Did you know that? That's power right there if we know how to pool it. Children are concerned. Now, if you are not prepared to do that, we do have an agenda that we must follow. And our agenda calls for withdrawing economic support from you. So as a result of this, we're asking you tonight to go out and tell your neighbors not to buy Coca-Cola in Memphis. Go by and tell them not to buy sealed test milk. Tell them not to buy what is all the bread, Wonder Bread. And what is other bread come to dressing? Tell them not to buy hearts bread. As Jesse Jackson has said, up to now, only the garbage men have been feeling pain. 
Now we must kind of redistribute the pain. And not only that, we've got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in Tri-State Bank. We want a bank-in movement in Memphis. Go by the Savings and Loan Association. I'm not asking you something that we don't do ourselves in SCLC. Judge Hooks and others will tell you that we have an account here in the Savings and Loan Association from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. We are telling you to follow what we are doing. Put your money there. You have six or seven black insurance companies here in the city of Memphis. Take out your insurance there. We want to have an insurance in. Now, these are some practical things that we can do. We begin the process of building a great economic base. And at the same time, we are putting pressure where it really hurts. I ask you to follow through here. Now let me say as I move to my conclusion that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. We're a conversation hey, brother, this evening. Yes, brother, sir. Brother, brother, brother. <laughs> yes, see, sir. You just had two of our greatest leaders outline <laughs> all there is to be outlined. <laughs> Dr. King just laid it out. Wow. And, that, and when you hear that speech, I've heard it before, you know why they killed Dr. King. It didn't have nothing to do with Vietnam. It didn't have nothing to do with I Have a Dream. It had to do with his new economic policy of redirecting the capital of the black community into black hands. And that's what we have to do now. After Dr. King's death, they went 100% in the other direction to redirect the capital from the black community into other hands. Now, we drove the whites out of our community in 68 when we burnt it all down after they <laughs> murdered Dr. King. So they said, we can't send white merchants back in there, but we will bring Ethiopian merchants and we will bring uh, Philippine merchants and we will bring Chinese merchants and we will bring Latino merchants and we will bring Arab merchants, those who will do business with us. <laughs> and they'll still keep the black money from turning on in the black community because they knew we had a love for people of color, and we have a love for people of color. We had struggled so hard against racism and oppression, we don't discriminate and, and oppress other people based on race. And they've used that against us. And unfortunately, our ignorant brothers and sisters who are immigrant communities, either they don't understand what's happening, I know a lot of them do understand 
but because of their desperate situation and their green card situation and their non-citizen situation and their need to send wealth back home, they're going along with this partnership with white America, even if it means the total destruction of black America. Wow. Listen, and we got to be honest about it. Stop lying to ourselves. Let's we take, only need friends who are truly friends. Let's, let's We're take, the only one that's holding Pan-African conferences. We don't see nobody from the continent calling us into a Pan-African conference in Philadelphia. Wow. You, you, you know? You, you, so you, we need to face the truth. You tell it, it like it is. It's said in some of the greatest literature we have. Know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Matter of fact, the Bible says that. It doesn't even say God will make you free. It doesn't say Jesus will make you free. It says know the truth, and the truth will make you free. <laughs> Let's go to 704 area code. What's your name? Where you calling from? Uh, greetings, everyone. This is Brother Scotty. I'm calling from North Carolina. How is everyone tonight? How are you, sir? Good evening, Brother Scotty. I'm, do I'm doing okay. I, I just have some observations. Um, I I've been listening intently, and I'm glad that it's put out there that most of the problems, not all of the problems, but most of the problems that we see in our communities are self-inflicted, whether that is where you have a, a um, I don't know how much Michael Jordan is worth, okay, but when he splits off from Nike and starts his own company, he continues to follow Nike's model by taking by seeking factories overseas to make his shoes that he going to sell to mostly black people. Okay. I feel like most of the problems are self-inflicted is that if we were buying black and, and not finding excuses not to start black businesses and supporting those black businesses, then we don't have to worry about all these other things in terms of economics. And, and, and so, but I, I, don't have anything, and I know, you know, uh, um, Mr. Uh, Professor Small said he isn't anti-immigration or anything like that. But when I look at, number one, the problem is white supremacists. The problem is white people. It is not non-white people who are coming to America, many of them fleeing situations and, and horrid circumstances, whether they be economically or whether they are in fear for their life because the United States government is giving all these drug cartels weapons to keep the drug, you know, uh, uh, war going on. And then those people are, are afraid for their children and they're sending them across the border. I don't have anything against those people. I, I totally understand those people are facing life and death if you look right across that border to, to Mexico. And this is because of U.S. policy. These people aren't just uprooting and leaving their homes because they want to. Right. They, but I'm not the only one that's got a right, meaning us, the African-Americans. We aren't the only one that should be fighting against U.S. policies. Every one of those immigrants have got the same obligation that we've got. They've and, got the same obligation to do as right. right by us as they would expect us to do by them. Well, and I in their desperation, they can't partner with my enemy in their desperation and have me still have a brothership with them. It doesn't work like that. Well, I don't think most immigrants are partnering with this government because if they I have do. a... I do, Brother Scotty. I do. I wait, see wait, so we're talking about 11 million 
so-called illegal immigrants in the shadows have a partnership with the U.S. government? I don't think so, brothers. Well, let, let, let me, me tell you what I mean by that, Scotty, because I'm not saying that people are consciously doing it. Some okay. are, but most aren't. What mm-hmm. I mean by partnership is if you understand that here I am trying to fight to get better wages, to get some union control, to get mm-hmm. some health care, and somebody brings you in to take the job instead of me, and you don't raise any of those issues, whether you mean to or not, you're now in partnership with what I'm opposed to. Now, do I have to fight you and them? How do I work that out? I understand. And that's kind of the situation we're caught in. We don't want to fight our brothers and sisters. We shop with them. We buy from them. We take more shit than anybody else. We We don't discriminate against anybody, no matter what they do to us. If they look like us, if they're brown or yellow, we go in their store, we buy their foods, but then they don't come and pay back for that. They don't hire us in those facilities. They don't invest in our communities. They go right back to where they're living, build up their communities, and in terms of that partnership with white folks, you, that partnership we see in the support of the police or when there's a crisis in our community, the one person you don't see on the picket line is the non-African-American merchants. <laughs> and then they complain when somebody burned their stuff down. Now, if you don't want to be in partnership, I understand the crisis in your country better than anybody. I understand American imperialism and European imperialism, but it is not my obligation to allow you to help the imperialists smother me because you also have a problem. Then you should join me in smothering the imperialists. Look, I I want to interject real quick here because Scotty said something that was very untrue. I work in a construction field, and I see all, when, when, when certain immigrants come in with their, with their company, they got a platform. They let you know, we are not going to hire any black people. They it's tell you that. America. They tell you that. So it's when the, you come on here and say, it's not So I'm going to sympathize with that? No, I'm not. I'm going to say the same thing Professor Small said. When he was on Carl Nelson's show, he said he got to look at some of these people the same way he looks at a supremacist because they're not there for your good. And as long as we sympathize with somebody that's not for our good, we're going to keep getting what we get. I see how they treat us on those jobs. I see it with, I mean, I'm looking at it like the nose on my face. They might smile at you out in the street and say, we with you. But behind closed doors, like you could t- ask any of those brothers and sisters down there in Miami with those Cubans. They're the same exact way. I'm telling you, man, in, in, in California, they're shooting brothers down out there because they can't stand no, the sight of us. It's across America. It's very yeah. systemic. It's very systemic. If you go to Kennedy Airport, most of the airports in the Northeast particularly and in the Southwest, the, they hire contract companies to come in and do the security. They hire these contract companies to come in and do the cleaning in these facilities. And these contractors don't hire African Americans. Okay. Now, I don't blame the immigrants who've got the job, but at the same time, they've got to understand that you're, whether you meant to be or, you, or, or it's accidentally, you are in cahoots and in league with what's destroying me. Now, if I can't tell you to separate yourself and join me, then I have no obligation except to go up against you. 
Well, uh, it's uh, as just, simple as I'm that. I'm not disagreeing with anything that's been said here, except to paint that entire community with a broad brush. I used to work in construction. No, I'm not painting the entire community, Brother Scotty. I'm not um, saying for those who the, who it doesn't fit, then they don't have to worry about it. We're talking about those who it fits because we don't have time to discriminate between 20 million people. And we're the only one that's asked to do that stuff. People know what we're suffering in America because we're in the news more than anybody in America. Okay. And other communities who are making the wealth they're making that they couldn't even dream of while they're walking right past me and discriminating against me just in the same manner that white Americans do, they ain't pretending. They know exactly what's going on. And if the whole community ain't in on it, the whole white community is not in on it. There are many white people who will side with me and you. They were whites who have died in fights for our freedom. But that don't exempt the rest of them that don't. Brother, ain't nobody fighting for our freedom, but I'll leave that alone. I'm former military. Yeah. And let me assure yeah, so am I former military, and many of us have fought for our freedom, and I've buried many of my brothers and sisters who have died you know fighting for this freedom. Are you, then, you ought to get more involved in the fighting for the freedom, and you'll meet a lot of other people doing it. Okay, like, can, I, like, can I close out with this? Ahead, I'm a new abolitionist. I fight against 21st century slavery and human trafficking with other new abolitionists. And we have been able to make inroads and partner with Hispanic organizations, with Asian organizations. Very good. That's a good thing, Brother Scotty. But that doesn't undo the reality of what's going on because you've met a few Hispanics that you can work with. Let's okay, be real. I we used to do that stuff in the 60s. We met a white person that smiled at us, and so all of a sudden all white folks who were oppressors were exempt. No. Okay, can I you can even go into those Hispanic countries and ask the blacks. Go ask the African-Mexican, ask the Afro-Latinos in the communities they come from what they suffer at the hands of the white-skinned Latinos, can, from the Dominican I, Republic to Brazil. So this isn't something that just happens when they come to America. Let's understand history. Scotty, just supremacy is not in the hands of white Americans in Europe. It's all across Central and South America in the Latin community. The entire culture of Latinos is based on a Spanish white supremacy. Okay, now, just one thing is like I don't care who comes to America. They got a right. Anybody who wants to come, anybody the government wants to let in, but you do not have a right to come and participate in against my well-being, whether you know you're doing it or not. Okay, can okay. I, and I don't have time to wait until you figure it out. Scotty, because uh, I'm suffering. Give me and thirty seconds. Thirty seconds, Scotty. Wind it up for me. I, I want to move on. Okay, there are seven hundred thousand U.S. vets from Iraq and Afghanistan in prison right now, and they will be given jobs because there are no jobs in America except for those jobs that corporate America, Walmart, all the places that we keep shopping at, are you only will have jobs for us once we're in prison. AT and T, Walmart, McDonald's. All the major corporations are using prison slave labor. labor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we need to bring all of that to a stop. That do not okay. um, yeah. placate what we are talking about. We okay. need to bring all of that to a stop, but we're not here to discuss all of that. Thanks we for your call, Scotty. We a specific segment of the problem. And let's okay. not throw in 20 other things to diffuse what the discussion is about. I'm not we, have to, to we, have, we have to deal 
with this problem of how we are going to employ our people. Scotty, Scotty we can't talk together now. Come on now. Who owns the majority of the business that we shop at? And do those people put back into that community? Now, that's simple. When it was whites, they didn't do it. And now it's non-whites, they're still not doing it. So should we continue to patronize those businesses? Oh, Brother Elliot, Brother Elliot, I'm a hang up now. I thought I was I want, I want to thank you for your call. I'm just being interrupted, talked over, and things that I have not said being well, put speak in my to the agenda. Well, I'm not going to be nice about it. Thanks for your call. Speak to the agenda. Don't try to create something else because you've got a little friendship going on. That, and to project what you're doing is good to project what you're doing. And I like it, and I think it should be done. Let's but go we're to discussing for- something here. That's not opposite of what you're doing, and what you're doing isn't opposite of what we're discussing. Let's go to 404 Echo. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, greetings to y'all. This is Sarah calling in from Dallas. Am I being heard? Yes. How are you? Yes, ma'am. Um, greetings to you, Professor Small, Elliot, as well as Sir Ralph. Um, yes, thank ma'am. you. I, I have to agree with you, Professor Small, because, you know, one of the things, as you laid out, one of the things that you know, Professor Small, is we travel a lot by plane. One of the things you said when you get on a plane, it says the first thing in the event of an emergency, put your mask on first before you attempt to help anyone, including a baby, if it's traveling with you. Mm-hmm. We as black people, we, we like to run around here trying to help everybody, then you end up being no good for nobody because you end up dead for lack of oxygen because you didn't follow instructions given to you. We, white people are the problem, yeah, and as you said, you know, the first thing that you can do if charity begins at home, and a lot of us don't um, don't really comprehend what we hear when we hear that word charity begins at home. You need to start to, because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of nobody. And people look to see how you manage your money before they decide to give you money to manage other people's money. And if we, in, a, in, a, in our community, if we cannot take care of ourselves and make sure that we are taken care of, as you said, I don't give a darn where they come from, because they all come here with the express purpose, as you say, in order, because white supremacy allowed them to come here with the understanding that you're going to come here, and this is what you're going to have to do to stay in our good graces, is you're going to step on these Negroes over here like roaches in order for you to keep staying in our grace. That's what they do. And we have got to stop looking at people's skin color because all skin folks ain't kin folks. And that's, that's right. how we get, we get caught up in this color thing, people of color. I'm not no person of color. As you said, Professor Small, we all don't share the same thing. Yes, these people come from colonial system, but the experiences that African Americans went through over here is not the same as what they went through in the Caribbean and on the African continent or anywhere else. It's a totally different system. And we've got to try saying that we all the same and we all will. No, we are not all the same. We all didn't go, go through the same thing. What I wanted you to speak on, uh, Professor Small, because I'm seeing what's being played out now that they're showing up in the news with all these African migrants leaving out from the coast of Libya, heading into Europe, and you're seeing the selfish nature of these Europeans saying that we want these people to go back, they're coming over here, they're flooding our country. They weren't saying this when it was in the reverse. When they're flying into Africa, and they're, they're, first of all, they murdered um, Colonel Gaddafi, and that's what caused this whole thing going on right now. Because they destroyed that country. They destroyed Libya on purpose. And this president yeah. in the White House, a lot of people don't want to talk about it. This president, as the face of it, he allowed himself to be used. And whether or not you say he's a puppet for this empire or not, his face was used in order to destroy Libya 
murder Colonel Gaddafi in the middle of the street, and from that it trickled down all of this destabilization in Yemen, um, in Syria, back into Iraq again, and all along and, and flowing into Africa right now. It was all started um, as a result of this this mascot that they use. And if you can touch on that for me, Professor Small, because you need that as well as this mess, the, the people always keep talking about African soul or African is a slavery. Because as the late um, Baba um, Clark said, these but, same mixed race children that these people but, made on the African but, continent that they used in order to do this, and African people getting blamed for this, um, for selling other African right. into slavery. But, but I don't want life. us to get away, sister, all of the things you've raised, you've said it very clearly, just like Brother Scotty has his position very clearly. But we yes, were sir. here to discuss a specific approach and to look at some specific things. And one of it, like when we talk about immigration, we're not talking about being against anybody, and I want to repeat that. Mm -hmm. What we're talking about is the government of the United States using uh, impoverished immigrants to be their first line of defense against the black community. And you can't, ain't no way nobody can see it any other way. Because if you look at the blueprint economically and in terms of the entrepreneurial um, 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 class within the African-American unity from, from the Pacific coast to the Atlantic, from the Gulf of Mexico to Canada, the same formula is at work. Yes. There's no coincidence that probability and statistics will put forth that will say that should happen. That we can look in our community and we can see that all of the, the, the dry cleaners is owned by this one ethnic group. All of the, 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 the corner stores is owned by this ethnic group. All of the laundromat is owned by this ethnic group. All of the people who get the jobs in, in the, the doctor's office and the, um, the, the community health facilities have to all be bilingual. I mean, somebody is playing one hell of a game. And I'm saying, okay, even if it's not a game, let's say it's just coincidentally it worked out like that. Let's say that black folks who control the majority of businesses in our community from the 1900s to the late 1940s that we didn't begin to lose those businesses until integration is because we choose not to shop with ourselves. The bottom line is still the same. With the tri we got people working to the point that we produce a trillion dollars a year. We've got this massive unemployment in our community, which leads to the massive imprisoned population in our community. And so if we want to stop that cycle from high school to prison or from high school dropout to prison, then we've got to do something. And the, and the common denominator that brings about solution is called J-O-B-S, jobs. And we have a situation now where it's not just about jobs, but there must be a skills bank partnering with the job. I think there's a group in Cleveland who's been doing a good job of um, putting together uh, the skilled young people with the jobs. Uh, it's called in, in, in Cleveland. And it seemed to have worked very well. And so it's, it's called, um, it's, they do a mentoring thing and a skill-building thing, and, and, and they try to find the jobs and make sure where those jobs are located in their city and then begin to train young men to do those jobs. Right now, because of what has happened in our community in the last 30 years, and because we can't get the contracting jobs and the brick mason jobs and the plumbing jobs and the electrical jobs and the house wiring jobs, most of those skills are learned through uh, uh, um, 
apprenticeship. And so we are not the one that's being apprenticed. Uh, whoever owns the company will apprentice their ethnic groups. And so in order for us to begin to get back into those jobs, which are absolutely necessary, we'll always need bricklayers, we'll always need carpenters, we'll always need electricians, we'll always need those who can wire a house, we'll always need plumbers, we'll always need auto mechanics. All of these jobs, um, is, is you, people are being trained for them or being apprenticed under somebody who's trained for them. And right now, that's not us. That's sir, not us. Sir, and the one thing we can do is take that dollar that we have and we can spend it in a way that it can produce jobs in our community because we will provide those services and goods that our community needs and hire our people to work in the process of providing those services and goods that our community needs. And uh, that ain't hurt nobody because everybody else is doing that and they're not complaining about their success. So why the hell can't we do it? Sarah, Professor I want to thank you. And Elliot, if I can say this really quickly Go and I get off, um, and Go I ahead. do appreciate you, Tom, give me this latitude. And I agree with Professor Moore because out here in the Dallas, Texas area where I reside, all of these 7-Elevens and corner stores, they're owned by the East Africans from Somalia as well as the Indians from India. The nail salons is the Vietnamese, the hair um shop is the Koreans, and you can go on down and down the list um, as you reiterated They're owned before. by those who have allied themselves with America to the, overthrow their own government and undermine their own people, and these are the people that brought us refugees because they were no longer safe in their own homelands. And they've planted exactly. them in our community and set them up in business. That's fine. I'm not angry with those people. What I'm saying, and listen well, I don't care who owned the 7-Eleven. I don't have to shop there. And if I exactly. stop shopping there, they will have to sell it to me. And that's exactly. what I'm saying. But what I'm saying also is that, is that this country is trying to drive down the, the wage. As you said, all of this came about out of the 60s when we start getting interest into these jobs and the means for them for, to disempower us is for them to drive the wages down and bring in these new flocks of immigrants into the community. I agree. And create the I agree 100%. Now, so I want to say, thing? what do we do? We have to do what Dr. King said in that piece he played. We have to yes, withdraw sir. our monies. We have to withdraw our monies. Let's not get angry with anybody. Angry right now ain't going to help us. Let's organize our families. Start by organizing our families, that we're not buying any food from anybody that isn't an African-American where we can. And we can begin to find, as families, as extended families or even groups of nuclear families, put our money together, go to the same wholesale place that the 7-Eleven go to and buy our products and bring it back to our living room or our churches, wherever, and distribute it to ourselves. Yes, sir. Thank you, fellas, and I'll get off tonight. I do appreciate it. Thank you for your call. What I'm saying is that we have to be at war now about listening to our leaders. Malcolm told us in the speech he said what to do. Dr. King detailed what he wanted us to do, and he named specific businesses that we should do it against in Memphis. And that's why they killed Dr. King. They didn't kill him because of Vietnam. They give a damn about Vietnam. They had that under control. They got what they want out of Vietnam. Even though they lost the war, they still got the oil contracts that send them to war in the first place. So let's, let's deal with what's real. What's real right now is that we got a barrel full of money. We got an unemployed community. 
and we've got businesses in our communities that we are spending the barrel full of money with that don't hire us, don't invest with us, don't don't mentor us. Now, what are we to do? Let's, let's go. And I'm saying we have to withdraw that money and spend it in another place in another way. And if somebody said, well, there's no black store there, let's find out where the wholesale, wholesale facilities are that all these other stores go to, and let's collectively put our money together and go to those same wholesale places and buy what we need. Let's go to 215. And pretty soon, those other people within a month or two will sell you those businesses as they exodus from our communities. 215 Erico, what's your name? Where you calling from? Oh, this is Mo, calling from Philadelphia. How are you, Mo? I'm doing yes, fine. You know, I just tuned in, but I was telling um, people the other day that if you go to any little five-year-old kid in North Philly, South Philly, West Philly, or up in the uh, Brooklyn, Bronx, or Harlem, and you ask them who's selling the dope around here, and they tell you the Dominicans, the poppy stores. They, they, if a five-year-old child knows don't you think the police commissioners of these cities, the mayor of these cities, the attorneys, all of them know that these people are selling dope in the black community, the church, churches, the, the, the ministers that got these mega churches, the politicians, all of them know. Now, either they're registered assholes or, they on the, on the, on the, or, or the people got them in their pockets, controlling them. And... Elijah Muhammad told our people years ago a simple thing, do for self. We're nothing but an economic titty for the whole wide world. We just like that black mammy on the plantation. She would take her breast out of her black baby's mouth and stick it in that little white baby's mouth and nourish her, that little white baby. We do the same thing. We take our economic breast out of the mouths of our black business and we nourish the Koreans, the Jews, the Italians, the Dominican. And when you look at the history of the Dominicans, there was an incident called Bloody River where they killed close to seventeen to 20,000 Haitians in one day. They hate black people, even though they're black themselves. Look at that monkey, Sammy Sosa, breaching his skin. He looks like a complete monkey and an idiot now. These people hate us, and we still support them and patronize them. And if I sound like a racist, I am a racist. But I'm a racist in the positive sense. The ISC means the advocate of and support of. No, I won't let you get away with that. Don't confuse your identifying negative behavior towards you and rejecting it as being racist. Cause that's no, 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 no. You didn't hear me, brother. I, I said the suffix. Said. I said the suffix on the word uh, racist means the advocate of and supporter of my race. I'm a racist in that sense. But I can never be a racist in the sense of white people because I don't control the goods and resources in America that affect their lives on a daily basis. They're two so different don't types. Use the word that defined them to define your action. Racialism is another word that no, we no, use I'm just, I'm just from racism. Brother, brother, once again, just like you had one, a person who's a violinist, as an advocate of, or a player on the violin, a pianist. What is the advocate of? Playing the piano. The same thing with a, with, with a racist. I can never be a racist in that sense. The white folks, I say it again. But I am going to be an advocate of and supporter of my race, a racist in that sense. But I'm not a racist in the sense of white folks. And I, and I, I believe that we, and, and black people who got money, like Bill Cosby, the old country, 
If they invest their money in the black community, they take their money to go work with the black farmers, secure whatever land they have, and acquire more land. We can have fruits and vegetables coming to our our, our, our neighborhood on a daily basis if these Negroes would invest their money. Now, Cosby need to wake up. The white man is kicking to the curb. Jumping University is kicking to the curb. A lot of these historical black colleges are kicking to the curb. Now, here's a chance where he can redeem himself with his people. Just by supporting the black farmers and open up businesses in the black community. We can get out of, out of our situation overnight. These, these ignorant Negro athletes, the first thing they go get is a white girl. Instead of taking that money and investing it in the black community, we got, we got the money to do it. Right. But, 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 may I, may I ask well, if we can't get you. none of those Negroes to do anything, what are we going to do? And we well, have, well, and we well, well, we got, we got to boycott. You ain't got to boycott the Dominicans to patronize your own businesses. I said, I already do. said that, and I'm with you 100%. Thank and you for your call, Bill. Oprah, any of them, or the players don't do anything. They're still black farmers down in the South planning their goods, many of us riding in the field. Let's organize in the communities we are. Let's make a contact with the black farmers, and let some of us begin to open up these, these open-air markets with the produce from those black farmers. Because the black farmers haven't gone to sleep. They haven't died. They're still producing stuff on their farms. And we in the urban center, we still need it. So let's try to do that. Well, thank well, you we for your call. Well, I'm for it. Thank okay. you for your call. So we, we are, and I'm with you. I, I, I agree with your critique 100%, my brother. So I'm on it. You saved me from saying a lot of things because you said it. Um, and, and as we go forward, and I'm also with you that we don't have to be angry with nobody or, or anything. We just don't have to give them our money. <laughs> and even if they got on their knees and says, I'm going to treat you right, still don't give them your money because I need that money to employ my son and your son. And your nephew and my nephew, I need to build the, 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 the Little League team in my community for my kids. I need to build the community center for my kids. I need to build the after-school facility so we can tutor them in math and science in my community with the wealth that comes from those facilities and those stores we own. Professor Small. So if, if we're going to survive this thing, it, I agree, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad said, do for self what others are begging for. You know, let, let me, and, let me. and I again uh, hope that we understand very clearly. I don't really care who you are, where you're from. I'm not ordained to make sure you survive while my children don't survive. You know, let me, so let me. let's be very clear. First of we small, must let... take care of ourselves. All of our leaders have said it. Garvey said it. Malcolm said it. Dr. King said it. They all outline moving our monies from our enemies and spending our monies with ourselves. They all talked about controlling the economic, the politics, and culture in our community. And the next thing we need to look at very clearly is the black educators, the black skin educators, who are not educating black children because they got a partnership with a white-controlled, Jewish-run teachers' union who's practicing genocide. And if you look at what they're doing in the school system, and you look at the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights, they're committing, according to the U.N., genocide against black children in the American public school system.
and we need to call the Negroes on it and the teachers' union on it and take them to court if we have to. I Just agree. Heighten the contradiction. Yeah, Professor Ball, let, let me, I want to throw something out here because uh, we've been talking about it uh, this evening. Ralph kind of detailed it when he talked earlier about uh, his plans to uh, to educate young people in Philadelphia in, in the electrical uh, um, inspection field. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was blocked by a black politician. Negro now, politician. Yeah. Now we look, because Ralph detailed, uh, and, and I know him personally, he travels to a lot of cities around this country on construction sites and sees what's going on. So when he mentioned about other people coming in, replacing black workers and not hiring blacks, it's not something that he's guessing about it's something that he's seen oh, no, personally. He's absolute on it because i've seen it and we fought against it and we watched it for decades but i want to mention something in almost like him myself and and uh brother ridge who, who's not with us this evening uh started this radio program six years ago on a terrestrial radio station in philadelphia and we reached out uh uh to um once we found out about the plight of the black farmer uh, we had named plaintiffs, plaintiffs from the uh, Pickford versus Glickman lawsuit with us on the right. air. And they detailed that uh, if the black communities around this country didn't get involved and help black farmers, that in 10 to 15 years, that they won't be having that conversation. So myself and Brother Reg got proactive. We started organizing some of the churches that were willing, some community organizations to sponsor black farmers to come here with open-air markets. And surprisingly, once we reached out to Gary Grant, who's the president of the uh, Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, and Professor Risley Muhammad, we got farmers coming up from South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, bringing goods to Philadelphia and had open-air markets. We started getting involved with, not getting involved so much because politicians started reaching out to us. Uh, black politicians but as soon as the powers that be or the powers that's over them found out what was involved they replaced what we were doing with Amish farmers from upstate which are white brought them into the communities and put them in the same locations that we were uh, attempting to use and using and our people started going to white farmers and they basically kind of ostracized what we were doing. Now, there's still some churches that, that we are still partnering with. But it could have been a lot bigger if it wasn't for certain uh, uh, black elected officials. Now, I'm saying that to say this, and I want your opinion on it. Because a lot of these elected officials, when they get in office, I, I think they have a social contract or responsibility to help the people that put them there, including the That's president. That's the only reason they ever put in office. In- including people, the president. People vote for you because they want something from you. Yes. And you agree to give that something if they vote for you. Now you and ha- if you get in there and don't do that, then we need to go back to the polls and vote them out. But that's hard to do because the margin of victory of votes in our community is controlled by the white community. Okay. Using the churches using the labor unions, using the not-for-profit organization that employ a lot of voters. And so that becomes a margin of victory. And so we have to find a way to unhinge those three things. The labor union votes, the, the not-for-profit organization votes, and the church leadership directing votes. 
Those are the three buyouts that the white community has. Yes. But being consistent and persistent in what y'all are doing is a part of the struggle. And then we have to add things to it because Reverend uh, Clemson Brown, I don't know if you know Reverend Brown, I used to come down to Philly a lot working with the UNIA, and he had been working also with the black farmers, bringing some of them up to New York okay. over the years and, and us going and buying from them. And, and I think if we make this, uh, the advocacy a trend. The young people right now, the generation under me, I'm like 69, that generation under me, I don't know your brother's age, y'all may be in that generation. Those young people are looking for direction. The young people who we saw in the streets of Ferguson, the young people we saw in the streets of Baltimore, the young people we saw in the streets of Philadelphia and, and D.C. in the last year, those young people are looking for how do we solve the problem. And we've got to bring this economic issue to it. But the economic issue isn't the only issue. The other part that I think we need to talk about is the cultural issue. The cultural issue which deals with the identity issue. Okay. See, African Americans must give themselves an identity, not just a label. African American is a label, but your history and your culture is your identity. So what they've done is given us a label but refuse to let us have access to our identity in the places where we should get it, which is the educational institutions. So we have to come up with other ways. So in our homes, we must establish that all of our children will learn their history and the culture. First, the African-American culture, and then we look back at our ancestral African culture. Okay. But we must establish that we are a people, a distinct African people called the African Americans, just like the Yorubas are a distinct African people from Nigeria. And yet they're still Africans. Nobody says, oh, you call yourself a Yoruba or you call yourself a Nigerian, so you're not African. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Almost no, definitely. We got to get out of this game where people are playing us while they're using the word minority to steal our identity. That's what Carl Anderson was talking about. So they have access to entitlements they have no right to on the basis that they've identified themselves as us, using the code word minority mm -hmm. or people of color. Let's go to 843 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, uh, good evening, Hotep. This is uh, Minister John Henry calling from Georgetown, South Carolina. How are you, sir? Hey, hey Minister John Henry, how are you doing? I'm doing black tastic, my brother. Good to hear you. Know, you know, I'm your again. homeboy from Georgetown, South Carolina. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I've been enjoying the show, and there's a lot of positive energy that I'm feeling. And the touch bases are some of the issues. Um, real quick, because I know you got a good agenda that you want to stick to the script. We definitely have to deal with this economics and identify our culture because it's been taken away from us. Now we need to regain that bag. And I'm so blessed that I was able to watch that documentary um, with, the, with the colors. Uh, Hidden oh Colors 2. Hidden mm -hmm. Colors 2? Yes, Hidden Colors 2. I watched all three of them. And, okay. brother, it, it, was, it was a real connection when I met you personally at the... Um, that the meeting place last the Kwanzaa December. celebration. Kwanzaa. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So your brothers 
there's a new generation that's coming in. And just like Brother Small says, the one that's up under his generation, we look, they looking for guidance. I'm only 55 years old, and I listen to the youth, and I hear them crying. And they mm-hmm. need somebody to direct them in the right area because all that positive energy is turning into negative energy that's fueling the fire for the oppressors to come against us even harder. So I'm going to sit back and keep on enjoying this show right here. I just had to go ahead and say hello and thank you for everything that the panel is doing, the guests is doing, and the callers is doing. We got to come up with that solution. Well, John, say hello to all my family and friends down in Georgetown. I sure enough well that Miss Bunny knows that I had a chance to uh, to talk with you tonight. All right, sir. Thank you for your call, sir. All right. Thank you. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to spend the last uh, 20 minutes or so talking about some solutions with our guest, activist, Pan-African and scholar, Professor Jane Small. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Exactly what is there in one million black folks united in their will and purpose? What is in a million brothers and sisters who are tired of the same old rhetoric, the same old leaders, the same old ways of dealing with political and economic empowerment? What's in such a group of one million blacks who are unapologetic about their identity? What's in that same group collectively and cooperatively? 
who are willing to sacrifice some of its members' time, talent, and treasures for the uplift of black people in this country. Considering our relative position within the political system, it is rational to believe that one million like-minded black voters could affect positive change by leveraging their votes to obtain concessions from candidates prior to and after the election. If you want real change, get involved with one million conscious black voters and contributors. The movement is now. Get involved and get information at info at I am one of the million dot com. That's info at I am one of the million dot com or go to www I am one of the million dot com. Again, that's www I am one of the million dot com. Get involved with real change. But I know 
Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. We're joined this evening in conversation with activist, Pan-African, and scholar, Professor James Small. And that song kind of epitomizes how I feel about our people. It's a long time coming, but change is going to come. Before I go back to uh, Professor Smalls, let's take a call. 773 area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Brother X. I'm calling from the most racist city on earth, Chicago. Brother yeah, X, wanna, how are you, sir? Make, uh, I'm, I'm slow, but I'm sure. Now, I just want to make a comment. I'm all for us shopping and doing business with each other. But this is what I want to say. Once Garvey movement back to Africa was derailed, the clock for our extermination began to tick. When our towns were destroyed and all our inventions were taken, and we would undermine it every turn. It confirmed us being in a extermination process. They had no intention in this country or, or allowing us to compete with them, and they stopped us. There is no victory for us to be had in these wildernesses of North America, none that I see. Right now, brother, Mr. Small, brother Small, right yes, now, sir. as I speak, our very existence in these wildernesses is in the balance. We are on a stern nation road. Shopping with each other is not going to stop that. And when it comes to economics now, without a serious, serious martial plan for us, like they have had for all other people. Without that, we have no chance. And they are not going to do that for us because they know we the baddest people ever walked this planet. That's why they're not going to give us a breath. I said, now money, we talk money. Money is a tool of the system. The man print money. But money is not his primary objective. Money is not his primary agenda. What is his primary objective agenda? Genocide, extermination, doing away with people that's non-Caucasian. That is his primary agenda, and that's what he works towards every day. What I suggest that we do, if we have any kind of way of doing it or any kind of leadership, we have to go to the U.N. I know the man controls the U.N., white supremacy running this world. Right now, we have to go to the U.N. and ask for an international human rights over us in this country before this all-out extermination starts. Because once it starts, we will have no voice. They are going to shut down everything, water. Power, radio, you ain't going to have nothing. Ain't nobody going to know nothing. We have to ask for an international watch right now because we are on the path of extermination, and it is in motion, and some of us see it, but we can't believe it. But we better start. Brother X, I want to... Then, my brother, I suggest you... Thank you for your call now. If you see that, that's clearly... 
then you need to move to deal with that U.N. piece. There's almost 60 million of us that's doing nothing. Get some of them to follow you there. In the meantime, some of us got to deal with the issues at hand right now. There are, through the December 12th movement, they've been in Geneva for almost 15 years trying to move the process that you're talking about right now before the United Nations. They will not let you bring anything directly into the United Nations. You must go through their committees, which are almost all based in Geneva, and go through the process to get it on the floor of the United Nations. Um, that's what Malcolm was trying to do. The Communist Party under some black leadership before Malcolm was trying to do it. That's where the book Required Genocide came into being. And many of us understand that this is genocide. It was genocide before Michael, the genocide, the transatlantic slave trade of the Europeans was genocide. The Arab trans-Saharan slave trade and Indian Ocean slave trade 1,500 years before 1492 was a part of this genocide. And we're in a war. And in a war, the other side is trying to kill you. And you have to use every means necessary to kill them. And so trying to survive, to eat right now, is as necessary as trying to go before the U.N. So if you see that piece clearly, and that makes that your obligation, you lead that segment. There's millions of us you can reach into to try to get to follow you. Some of us have to lead this segment to controlling the businesses and the culture and the politics in the community where we reside, or there won't be none of us left to fight the U.N. issue. And genocide is being very chemical. That Ebola thing he just pulled off in Africa, that's his, one of his new genocidal tools. The vaccination of our children in America with all this mercury in the vaccine is a part of his genocidal program. And, yes, he can poison the water, but guess what? We can poison water, too. And there are a lot of things I won't say on the radio, but I'm at war. Uh, I, I you know? you, and we're fighting back. I so I support what you're saying, and I, I admonish you to take the leadership on it because you have a vision. Move with your vision, and others will follow you. But I have a vision, too, and that is we've got to control the economic and politics where we are now residing, or we're not going to be there to even follow you. Professor Smalls, you mentioned on uh, on the uh Columnist show a couple of days ago about uh, and I wasn't aware of it until after you mentioned it and I looked it up. When Ossie Davis, I think it was in the late seventies, if I'm not mistaken, or early seventies, when he went before the Black Caucus, which was a right. different Black Caucus than it is now, uh, right. and put forth a plan. I guess right. it was similar to like a Marshall Plan for Black families. T- talk yes. about that and, and, and what it's happened. A document that you can get is called the Plan. It's in a small pamphlet form of about 100 or more, maybe 200 pages. And the Black Caucus, I'm sure, have it. I have a copy sitting on the table right here in front of me. I, well, I saw it online. I didn't see the whole plan. I'd seen, uh, you know, the, the, the discussions of it. But talk uh-huh. about that plan and what happened. Did it die on the vine? What was, I mean, because we knew that O.C. Davis was an activist. But what he suggested mm-hmm. was, was an excellent plan. You know, this was Brother Fontroy and a number of other very progressive people we had in Congress that worked to put this piece together, and they were trying to organize the share with the black community. But, you know, a lot of remember, when you're at war, there's a force, as you're going forward, there's a force coming towards you. Okay. And so sometimes we think that we're going to just be allowed, like the young man was just saying, 
We're not going to just be allowed to be free. We have to be aware that our enemy will be blocking our path to freedom. And I think the brothers, many of them truly believe to such a degree in the American system that if they just did the right thing, the white man would say, oh, how wonderful. No, it doesn't work like that. We have to fight for freedom. We have to fight every step of the way. And that's why I'm suggesting a lot of what we need to do, we need to start doing it as families, but as families connected to other families. There's no reason why any child should not be able to read or write or do math because the family can set up study groups in their homes. There's no reason why a child should not know African-American history and African history because in the last 30 years, tens of thousands of books have come out on the subject, and we can teach this to our children in our homes. And the nuclear family can get with three or four other nuclear families, which creates an extended family, and rotate in the homes. One weekend we're in this brother's home, one weekend we're in this brother's home, teaching our children our history and our culture. Yeah, either in our homes teaching or... Teaching them our math and our science. This is not rocket science, what we have to do. We have to just to be committed as families. Don't say, my child can't learn math, he ain't learn the math. Okay, let's teach them at home then. They'll still have to go to school, yes, because we still have to go to work, but we can supplement all that other stuff by teaching them ourselves. And, and those of us, almost all of us, whose children are failing, getting killed, on drugs, going to, we go to these churches. Make a demand. Picket your church. Boycott your church. Make a demand. Open after schools of this church. Open this church for after school program for our children, or we'll stop coming here. Well, you read my mind because I was getting ready to involve them, but you just stated it. If yeah, we... because they have the facility. They have the buildings already. Yes. Sitting there dormant, or they got foolishness going on trying to see whose wife they can screw and all this other stuff that's going on. You know, developing, pushing the homosexual agenda forward in our community. There's a bunch of negative stuff going on in these churches. There's money in pushing the homosexual agenda. You know? White folks yes. give you money to do that stuff. So these preachers are all caught up in that. Go and look at most of the churches in our community and see who's running the, the music department, the choirs, <laughs> and in the pulpit. Yeah, most you know, definitely. and how they're well rewarded, living well, got good health benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So let's, let's for the, but the majority of the people in the churches are not involved in none of that. And so they need to make the demands on these Negroes that's pretending to be the advocates of Christ and say either open the doors so we can have after schools for our children so we can teach the math and science that they're not getting in the school, we can teach the black history they're not getting into school, or we're going to close your church down because we're going to stop coming here. Let's get real. Professor Smalls, let, let me, I want to ask you a question in the time that we have left, and, and, mm -hmm. I, and I want to, to kind of pick your brain on this. From reading history, I was a young man when, when Malcolm was killed. Mm -hmm. But from reading history, I could see that it was a, it was always an evolution of, of, of Malcolm's understanding as he lived and went on. Mm -hmm. but, but I could see that it was an evolution of Malcolm's understanding from the Nation of Islam to the organization of uh, African-American unity that he started before he was killed, which you were a member of. Mm -hmm. um, talk about yourself in this respect. What made you understand that spirituality 
more than religion is the key to our unity and survival. The brother was talking about survival and our people won't survive. I don't believe that. Uh, I know our people we're are going to survive. We're going to survive, or the planet is not going to survive. Exactly. The going to survive, and that means we're going to survive. We're going to survive. We just have to begin to implement the things that will lead to that survival success. And even what the brother was talking about, after he did all the pessimistic stuff, he did offer a road. And, and what my thing is to him, take that road and let others follow you. Don't throw, I'm not just the only guy working for liberation. Every one of us have the same obligation. You brothers are doing this radio show as a part of your tooling and working for that liberation process. We can't expect you to carry all the burden on your back. You're doing your, your part. We need millions, the other millions and millions of others who are not doing anything to get involved in this liberating process. So my background, I grew up on a plantation in South Carolina, a place called Georgetown. And I live in a village that was like any other African village on the continent of Africa. It was the same African village my people formed when they came to this country as enslaved people. And, and so it wasn't something I learned. It was something that was always there, this resistance movement. My grandfather didn't allow us to speak with white folks except those we had to work with, and we wanted to speak to them in terms of business. If we got caught speaking or socializing with any whites afterwards, we got our butts whipped. Matter of fact, our grandfather's thing was so strong, our dog didn't like white people. And they eventually shot our dog. And when we saved him by taking him to the hospital, they later poisoned him because he would not let any whites approach our house. And that's because of the attitude of the family that I grew up in. You know, Mr. Andrew Small and Ms. Susan Small and their position. My great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, came from Uganda. He was one of the last people slow, sold into the slave market in Georgetown, South Carolina, as a little boy, him and his brother. My grandfather on the other side came from the Freewood. That was the Maroon community um, up near Myrtle Beach, a place they now call um, Burgess and, and, and um, Wells Inlet. So, and then there's another aspect of the family was the Chikora Nation. These are black Native Americans, not this white-skinned Native American the white man has created. And so that's my family roots. And I grew up on that plantation. I went to an all-black school on that plantation, a one-room classroom, um, until I was in the seventh grade. And I went to town to an all-black high school. I never had a white teacher over me until I got into college. And by then, I was over them. Okay. And so I met Malcolm when I was 16 because I saw him on television. And then my mother and father had come to New York to work. And, and so I asked them to let me come to New York so I could meet this man. I saw this, 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 this God. And so my mom brought me up here that summer. My father drove his Cadillac. And I went to meet Malcolm X at Temple Number no. 7 on 16th Street, and he wasn't there. That was 1963. And so the brothers told me where to find him on 141st Street and 8th Avenue in front of a store, which is no longer there, called the Food Family Supermarket. He was passing out leaflets against the march on Washington. And I remember telling him I wanted to leave school and just come and fight, and he told me no. He said, you know, education, getting, he used these terms, to get tooled and skilled. That education should involve the tooling and the skills that we need for our liberation. And so I went back home to school and went back to school and finished that last year. And, and uh, 
you know, went on to college, of course, and a whole bunch of stuff stopped that. I, of course, went to go into American, um, the American military, getting away from a shooting incident, which I was not detailed, <laughs> in a racist situation in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. Um, and, and, and so Malcolm got killed the next year. And I came home a few months later, went back to his sister Ella, and became a part of the OAU. And within six months, I was the imam of the Muslim Mosque, Inc., founded by Malcolm X. I went to Mecca in 1975 as the leader of that mosque. Um, I'm no longer an imam. I stepped down from that position. But my grandmother, who raised me, was the root woman in the family, practicing the traditional medicine. So that's where that part of me came from, looking towards the spiritual system rather than the religious system. So my grandfather, who was a Baptist minister, he encouraged us beyond the church because he was also a member of the Morris Science Temple. So I just come out of that, you know. Do you, do you and, think it's and, a stumbling block for our people that, because if you notice, some of our people talk about unity, but when it comes mm-hmm. down to it and they're involved in religious organizations, whether it be Christian, uh, uh, Muslim, uh, being Hebrew, right. it's always a problem there because the religion yeah, the, is up front. And Malcolm talked about that at the end of his life, that yes. we need to put our religion in the closet, put okay. it in our pockets, because he said if we get to discussing it, it would get in the way of the unity. Okay. So he said, let's come together as Africans. You know? All right. And that's why he formed the OAAU. So religion wouldn't matter. He, he was still a Muslim. And the Muslim mosque is where he worshipped, but where he was doing his political advocacy and work would be out of the organization of Afro-American unity. And that you could join that, whether you were a black Buddhist, a black Christian, or whatever, and we would fight around the issues of economic politics and culture, um, looking at every aspect from job training to education in the black community to elected politics to grassroots political organizing. And all of those were part of the aims and objectives of the OAAU. And those, if you read, you can go online and see the aims and objectives of the OAU now, and you will see those are still the things we need to do today to control the economic and the politics and the culture of the neighborhoods in which we live. That's nothing more than any other community in the world is doing. It is that we're not doing it because an enemy have kept us from doing it because the wealth that circulate among us will make us a very powerful political force in the nation. Most definitely. Uh, you know. Before we wind up this evening, and, and, and I want to mention something to you before we, but Ralph, I, I know that we're coming up on the uh, closing of the program. Any uh, things that you want to say to Professor Small before we started uh, winding down? Yeah, I had a couple of things. Go ahead. I, I, Go ahead. I wanted to ask, but, uh, you know, um, I, it it can wait, man. It can, it can really wait. But uh, Professor Smalls, I just want to say thank you for uh, stopping past this evening and letting us get to know you a little bit better. And also, yes, you know, when I was out in uh, Long Beach, California, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine said he was having lunch with you, man, and I wanted to make that. I wanted to make that meet you personally, but maybe we can make that happen. Oh, that again. was about the bay. Yeah, it was Brother, Brother Bay. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's my boy right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's actually in the city right now. And I was a little bit under the weather, and we hadn't been able to hook up. Oh, okay. You know? but, uh, yeah, but Brother, brother Bay is one beautiful young brother, and, and I've been out there with him twice. And, and you know, we've, we've spent some good um, quality time together discussing our mm-hmm. situation. 
as well as our health issues. You know, he's been helping me, too, with eating right. Even I thought I was eating right. When you give a brother bay, you realize you ain't eating right at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's a beautiful young brother right there. Yeah, me and him are good friends. And he invited me out with you, too, but, uh, I, you know, I, I was out there on business and I couldn't get off in time. So, yeah, man. All right, Professor Smalls. Well, thanks for stopping through and letting us well, get to know you. Well, thank you, brother, for having me. And, and, and I hope, Brother Scotty, don't think I was being – I agree with Scotty. The work that he's doing is good work, but that don't upset, offset the critique that we're making and the work that we're suggesting. Oh, he, and I think alongside each other we have better work and we'll have greater success to having our people get control of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and control of economic politics and culture – in the community in which they live so they can provide food, clothing, shelter, and safety for themselves and their families. That's all we're asking for. Oh, if anybody get in the way of that, let's do to them what they would do to us. You know, what, I'm gonna bring you, I would like to get you back on very soon because uh, we on this program is involved in a movement, the uh, One Million Conscious Black Voters and Contributors. I heard where, you and I love it. Yeah, and that, that's something that uh, a lot of people have been getting involved with. It's really growing. Uh, I know that in order to make an impact on some of these people that are supposed to represent us, we have to control the finances because that's how a lot of yes, these sir. guys start dancing to other people's tunes. These pack, these super PACs, and these, uh, whether it's Jewish or whoever, these organizations that, that uh, funnel money into their campaigns control them. So if, yes. we, if we need to control our own, but we have to start controlling the purse strings and finances. And, and then the other thing we have to do, we have to start um, getting people to run for office who come out of our orientation. Yes, exactly. Okay? Because we can't keep sending the Negro and wondering why he won't behave as an African. That's <laughs> because we send the Negro. I agree. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, Mr. Smalls, any last words where people can see you, uh, contact you, hear you on well, Facebook? They, they can Twitter. reach me. I'm on Facebook, James Small, and, and you can also reach me. I'm on Twitter, but I'm on, I'll give out all of this. But I have a website, <laughs> okay. Professor Small, AfricanWorld.com, Professor Small, AfricanWorld.com. And um, I have my phone number posted there. So just go to Professor Small, African World, and give me a call. I want to thank you for being with us. Thank you, brothers, for giving me the opportunity to dialogue with our people. And we'll talk soon. And again, tell Brother Scotty, I love you, Brother Scott. (laughs) Just keep doing our work. Peace. Talk to you soon. Peace and love, brother. We'll be right back to close out the program. tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com.
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Nobody celebrates victories against racism and apartheid a generation or two back more often or more lavishly than the Congressional Black Caucus. It's something they have to do constantly, not just because some of those victories made their career possible, but because apart from those careers, they have not really accomplished much in the last 40 years. From the 1990s onward, most of them voted for legislation that doubled down on the war on drugs and to intensify the over-policing and mass incarceration in their own communities. When it became clear that Katrina was the excuse to dispossess and disperse into exile a couple hundred thousand black people on the Gulf Coast, the Black Caucus called no hearings. It sounded no alarms. And despite their relentless celebrations of victories over racism, the entire Black Caucus has consistently turned a blind eye to the brutal settler state apartheid of Israel. The CBC's promise to skip out when Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu addresses the U.S. Congress on March 5 is not an act of vision or moral courage. When Israel demolishes Palestinian houses, when it lynches and deports Africans, when Israel passes more discriminatory laws and steals Palestinian land, the Congressional Black Caucus says nothing. When successive U.S. administrations of both parties endorsed the Israeli punishment of Palestinian civilians with water and power cuts, with blockades of medical and construction supplies, books, and even toys. The CBC is silent then, too. When Israel threatens all its neighbors with nukes and makes the false claim that Iran has nuclear weapons, the CBC are quiet. When Israeli fighter jets, armored copter gunships, and tanks rain white phosphorus and shell fire on Palestinian neighborhoods, the CBC, with the rest of Congress, unanimously endorsed the aggressor's right to defend themselves by murdering children and voted to resupply the expended Israeli munitions. So let's be clear. Netanyahu is a demagogic racist. He heads the planet's most vicious apartheid regime, a U.S.-supported and funded client state engaged in the conquest and occupation of neighboring territories and the genocidal dispossession and exile of their populations, all paid for with U.S. tax dollars and under U.S. diplomatic cover. But that's not the CBC's problem with him or with Israel. 
Like the rest of the U.S. ruling elite, the CBC has no problem with Israeli apartheid. The CBC's problem is that Republican House leader John Boehner invited Netanyahu, not President Obama. So the Netanyahu visit is a violation of protocol, a kind of insult to the first black president. We should not be surprised. The CBC's tunnel vision works the same way at home as it does abroad. Thanks to the large numbers of blacks pushed out of homes in the workforce in recent years, the rate of black child poverty now stands at 38.2%, an all-time high. The Congressional Black Caucus is not calling daily press conferences over that either. Detroit is executing its own slow-motion Katrina, pursuing water cutoffs and evictions that will affect over 100,000 residents, just about all of them black. And this is beneath the CBC's notice. But let somebody insult or disparage the First Lady, and they'll be all over that. It's because the CBC, like the rest of the black political class, are self-serving cowards. Their failure is symptomatic of the shrinkage of black politics from one of vision and struggle to a politics of protecting their own privilege. For Black Agenda Radio, I'm Bruce Dixon. Find us on the web at www.blackagendareport.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening, and I want to thank again our special guest that joined us this evening, activist, Pan-African, and scholar, Professor Jane Smalls. A uh, lively discussion, Brother Ralph, a lot of, uh, a lot of opinions, some emotional, <laughs> but uh, it's all good because it was, a lot of, uh, it was a lot of solutions talked about this evening and a lot of things that we can build upon. Right, we're all working toward a common goal. Most definitely. And, uh, yeah, sometimes emotions get high or whatever, but, uh, you know, we're working toward, and and, and Elliot, and I'm glad you said that, I only go by what I see in my experience. I don't, I don't, I don't go by what I read or, you know, this, that. I see what's going on. And I agree with Brother Smalls. If somebody hates me, I don't care what color, it can be the, they could be our color. If they hate me, I want nothing to do with them. I'll look at them the same way I look at a Klan member. So that's just where I'm at with that. And I agree with Brother Smalls. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, we all know, we, or well, we all say that uh, white supremacy is at the base of it. Mm-hmm. But those who partake in it, you know what I mean? You got to look at them the same way. Yeah, partake, partake and protect it. Protect it. Yeah. So if they come here with those same hostile attitudes, I don't care who they are. I don't care if they smile at me. You know, if that that's what they're partaking in, I got to look at them the same way. I mean, and I mean, for me to sympathize with them, but oh, you 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 poor soul, you've been brainwashed by the system. No, 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 no. The only poor soul in that in, in that situation would be me. If I'm <laughs> So, you know, I, I, you know, and I just had to I just had to say that, man, because uh, sometimes people got to really listen to themselves to really get a better understanding of what they're talking about. You know what I mean? And, and Elliot, I mean, say if your next door neighbor who might be a brother come over to you and say and, and say to you, like, you know what, Elliot, I hate you and your family and I don't want you employed. You're going to sympathize with him. No, well, no, you can't do that. Come on. So, yeah, we got to call a spade a spade. And that's with these politicians, these preachers, 
some of these immigrants, all of it. You know what I mean? You got, you got, you know, and and include if they're partaking of a system. You got to look at them the same way. You got to look at them as part of the system, and no, no other way, man. So that's where I'm at with that, brother. I understand you. We're at, we're at war, and we got to come up with solutions in these battles, and uh, and it's clear lines of deline- delineation. So uh, I understand clearly what you're saying. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always, and we'll be back next week, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, your children playing after school They seem to be so unaware I know, I know The things that they'll soon have to take care of
say the children 